This podcast is made possible by OneStream Software and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Brenda Morris, CFO of various consumer product companies, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 413. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. Hey, the voice you heard before mine, that was the voice of Brenda Morris, who, uh, when she recorded an interview with us a while back, was CFO of 511 Tactical, an apparel company. This past April, I included a short perhaps four or five minute excerpt from that interview as part of a special episode titled CFOs Share Their Early Lessons. And uh, Brenda had shared an anecdote that I thought would be wonderful to include. Uh, But the response to that uh, episode, which featured several different uh, CFOs talking about their early days, uh, was pretty pretty uh, impressive and pretty immediate. Uh, I received two emails at the time asking uh, for the complete interview with Brenda Morris as to when it was uh, released, uh, pointing out that it was no longer available on iTunes. And uh, if you're not aware, iTunes allows only 300 episodes, I believe, to be visible at a time. So there is the dilemma. I have received uh, a number of other emails related to that episode, and one of them arrived this week once again asking uh, regarding uh, Brenda Morris's interview. Where is it? So we decided, back by popular demand, we will re-release that episode here and now for you. We did get in touch with Brenda, ask her if she'd like to join us once again. She assured us she would. Uh, However, her calendar uh, this quarter is a little too busy, so maybe she'll catch up with us again and update us because today Brenda is on to her uh, seventh, I think, CFO tour of duty as CFO of Apex Park Group, a privately held California-based company that has acquired over 14 entertainment centers across the states, including the Big Kahuna Water Park in Destin, Florida. Whole new realm for, uh, I would imagine, for Brenda. Well, perhaps we'll find out in an upcoming interview. But right now, after these words from our sponsor, our original interview with Brenda Morris. When it comes to supporting effective decision-making, finance and IT leaders are facing an unprecedented challenge amidst increasing business complexity, exploding data volumes, and market volatility. OneStream software reduces the complexity of financial operations by unleashing the power of finance with a unified platform for planning, financial close and consolidation, reporting, and analytics. OneStream helps finance leaders empower the enterprise with financial and operational insights to support faster and more informed decision-making, all in a platform designed to continually evolve and scale with your organization. To learn more, visit OneStreamSoftware.com. 
Hello, we're speaking to Brenda Morris, a serial CFO who's had uh, six tours of duty as a CFO with different, with all different types of organizations, really. Brenda, welcome. It's great to be here, Jack. Thank you. Brenda, as I, I mentioned, it, it seems as though you have been uh, with different sized organizations and with different, uh, or, you know, organizations from many different industries. Uh, so anyway, uh, we look forward to asking you our opener question, which is to have you look back and share with us uh, what were those experiences you feel uh, best prepared you for a CFO role? What comes to mind? Sure, not a problem. So I thought a little bit about this when you and I talked about this on the pre-call, and I was uh, reflecting back to, I think, probably the most uh, single defining moment when I knew that I wanted to be a CFO and I wanted to move into that role. And it was actually issued a little bit as a challenge, I think, from a, from an old boss almost uh, 20 years ago. And I was a controller uh, at the company, great company in Seattle, and he was an incredibly smart man. I considered him uh, a mentor of, of, of a form and just a, a really uh, wonderful guy in the apparel industry, which is which is an industry I've spent a lot of time in. And we were sitting chatting one day and just talking about the future, the future of the company, my future and such. And, you know, I mentioned that I'd like to eventually be a CFO. And I remember very clearly, like it was yesterday, he, he laughed and he said, you will never be a CFO. He said, you have way too much personality to be a CFO. And I and it was at that point that I said to myself, I will be a CFO and I will keep my personality. And uh, he and I laughed later about two years after that, I took a role that uh, that at a different company where I uh, was eventually then promoted to the CFO role and have been in that role since. And he actually loved the fact that the challenge he issued was uh, one that I was willing to try and get past. So I think it was uh, not necessarily a specific you know, technical milestone, but was certainly something that, you know, made me really think about where I wanted to go in my future. So having experienced these different companies and having played this finance leader role in each of them, you know, can you share with us how your your philosophy of finance has been influenced over time from one role to the next? Yeah, I think it's uh, in, in my career path. I've I've really been sort of a you know two to four year uh, CFO since since I originally took on that role, and and I think my philosophy on on finance and the role in the office of the CFO have changed over the years. Uh, I think they've become more progressive and more. Uh, focused on strategy and providing high, high value for the shareholders of the organization, for the board, um, for the associates of the organization. And I think that's just been the nature of the position changing and shifting. Uh, and all of that comes obviously from your own experiences. For me, in, in the roles I've played, I've gotten to be involved in just a ton of different types of transactions, everything from IPOs and follow-ons and mergers and acquisitions, you know, moving production offshore uh, from, from being an all-domestic uh, produced uh, product when I was at K2 to moving it offshore and doing everything overseas, major recaps. I've been in environments where there's full turnovers of the C-suite and, and you have to navigate those waters. So I think those things have all provided me experiences that have given me a little bit more chops to be uh, a better CFO, and I think uh, a little bit with a little bit more wisdom—not not always a lot, but a little bit more wisdom on you know the fact that 
the CFO's office and his or her teams need to be not just tactical, but um, forward-thinking and visionary and very holistic around uh, the value that they add for an organization. Tell us how you view finance as helping uh, organizations and companies become more competitive. What is the competitive edge that finance offers? Sure, yeah. No, I think and I think it's consistent with most of my experiences, but um, I'll give you a sort of a general oversight first. I think that you know the competitive landscape is changing all the time in every industry and you know it doesn't matter if it's consumer trends or you know economic situations or you know just you know, a, a ton of different variables that impact how people, you know, consume services and products. So it's, it, I think, creates an environment where you can never take your eye off the ball of understanding what your competitive landscape, landscape is since it's always changing. So I think the key is staying current and, and finding great research information around your industry and around the sector that you play in, um, having great relationships with analysts who spend, you know, all their sleeping, you know, nights and days and and waking hours thinking about uh, a certain industry. I've obviously played in apparel a lot or specialty retail and specialty brands and having a great network of analysts and investment bankers who are talking to the competition all the time, just like they're talking to um, to you know my companies and then comparing notes and making sure you really understand what the trends and sort of the tea leaves are, are you know as you read them you're able to selectively make decisions to mitigate some of the risks that might be out there and make the best decisions you can um, specifically at 511 you know we obviously built great relationships with the analysts and got them to really understand the business we worked closely with investment bankers and commercial bankers as we you know financed the organization and move things forward. Trade journals, looking at what's happening in you know the world of shooting, the world of public safety, the world of, of outdoor brands, especially brands in general. Just keeping your eye on the ball all the time, I think, is mission critical, no matter what organization you're in. So could you share with us, uh, help us understand perhaps the apparel industry or uh, the retail industry a little better? What, what are some of the key metrics that are important when it comes to understanding that, that business climate? Yeah, so again, depends on if you're you know, pure distribution or pure retail or a combination of both. Um, but in general, you know, your comp store sales is really what the investment world you know, lives and breathes on. Are you growing your comps every year? And whether you're, you know, pure distribution or, or pure retail or, or a blend of the two, you're looking at year-over-year sales and really diving into those and understanding what's the what's the comp sales coming from the existing store base that you had in place a year ago you know what's what is the performance and productivity of new stores that are coming on board and have come on board in the past year are they performing at you know what appears to be similar levels of, of what your stores have done in the past and also obviously compared to the competition then you drill in you're looking at it by category and you know by subcategory and sometimes you know if you're in a branded environment you're looking at it by design designer or you're looking at it by a seasonal item and what that carryover is from a seasonal item it could be outerwear or evening gowns or whatever the case might be. So it's often dependent obviously on what you sell specifically, but comparing your comp store sales to the rest of the industry and again a lot of these numbers are you know publicly 
um, issued by by the public company, so you can compare yourself to similar, especially especially brands or especially retailers, and see well if everybody's up, you know, five, six, seven percent for the quarter. How are you trending? Are you, you know, down two? Are you up twelve? And where are you in the mix? And and really, that's how the analysts look at the business as well. And then there's a, obviously a lot of other metrics, but that's really the big one that people look at is comp store sales. And then there's obviously what drops through your store contribution margins, and you know what your product margins are, your SG&A percentage, capex spend, um, you know, and and really, I think again, this is back to driving where we can add the most value as a CFO and the CFO's office and, and their team is providing great KPIs and metrics that the business can use to make decisions. As you entered these different businesses, has there been a piece of technology or an application uh, that has helped you achieve some of what you need to accomplish? Yeah, definitely, Jack. I, I, I'm a big believer that leveraging technology and um, finding ways to optimize and make people more efficient uh, is a really important skill set for the CFO's office. And, and you know, I think like a lot of CFOs have spent a good majority of my career, you know, grueling through Excel-based templates and, you know, rolling them up for budgets and planning and then obviously having integrity issues and, you know, audit schedules that have the same same issues uh, where you know you'll you'll get them all beautiful and done and then someone will have missed one cell and something will be wrong and you'll it'll cause a, a plethora of issues and so I, I I'm a real big believer in finding technology tools that can do a great job and um, I've implemented uh, actually a couple times now a, a great system called host analytics which is a corporate performance management tool that does you know, financial planning and analysis, it does all of your consolidation, it does your financial reporting, it can, you know, even do your SEC reporting and, and you know, can do S1, 10K, 10Qs and really provides a lot of value as well as dashboards for your business owners. And, you know, when it's implemented well and embraced by the organization, it really does change the landscape. Uh, there was a, a company I was with um, the, a couple, oh, probably 10 years ago now, and it was the first implementation I had done of Host. And it, these were plants that were in remote areas of Alaska and, and other areas. And the plant managers just loved the tool. They finally had information at their fingertips. They weren't waiting for, you know, the accounting office to issue financials, you know, weeks after the end of the month. They could see how their plant was doing. They could see how their maintenance expenses were were coming along and their dashboards. They could look every day to see what their production and what the sales were from their plants. And it was just a very, um, quite honestly, life-changing for them. And they all felt much more empowered and self-sufficient. So big believer where you can drive that out to your teams and allow them to self-serve and and answer their own questions at their convenience on their schedule uh, that you can just really advance the organization. So along the way, you've developed uh, multiple uh, finance teams. Tell us about the people uh, you want on your team. What are the skill sets and experiences and personalities you're looking for? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I would say, you know, most of the teams that would work have worked for me would say I have really high expectations, um, and I I think that's a good thing. I think that you know we want folks who are, you know, leaders and are creative and add a, a high level of value to the organization. So I know when I'm out um, looking for folks and adding to my team, first and foremost, I'm looking for really great um, critical thinkers who you know have analytical slant and can really not just, you know, kind of spit out information and data and numbers, but can actually use that information and disseminate it to the organization in a way that drives great business decisions or business decisions. So I'm looking for, you know, folks that have that ability to take a step back and, you know, really look at the information and and use it in a way that adds a lot of value. I Technical skills are very important, um, especially now with, you know, SOX environments and con- internal controls. And, you know, if you are in an SEC reporting environment and the, the requirements there are really stringent, you have to make sure that your accounting, your technical accounting is accurate. So I'm often really focused on looking at folks who have uh, really great technical skills as well. Uh, your career has really been built on strong relationships, both inside and outside the company. Outside of the company, of course, private equity investors are always looking for highly skilled CFOs and experienced CFOs like yourself. Can you share with us some pointers uh, for collaborating with private equity partners as a CFO? You know, whether it's communication or what have you, what pointers can you share with others about collaborating? I think realistically, the number one most important thing is great communication, right? And and figuring out what it is that the private equity partners really want to know and understand and potentially change about the organization that you're going in to help them, you know, grow, build, turn around, mold, whatever the case might be. And I've worked with some just fantastic and amazing private equity teams, and I've worked with some that are much tougher and and much harder to navigate. And so, you know, I think the thing I've learned uh, up front and and haven't you know always done successfully, but but I I think you know you get wiser as these as these experiences go on is that you want to make sure you you have that. FaceTime and you sit down and you really understand what are they looking to achieve with that potential investment, right? Are they do they want a short exit? Do they have years to kind of let the company percolate? You know, is it more you know, short-term goals, long-term goals? Do they want you know just fast growth? Do they want very quality, thoughtful growth? Um, you know, what are they willing to invest as as the company grows and are they on the same page as the management team in regards to what channels you're going to grow in and the geographies and, you know, in any of the other specific items, you know, if it's retail, you know, the, the regions you're going to grow in, the number of stores you're going to grow per year and what categories you're going to add. A lot of times I think that, yeah, yeah, the companies work really closely with the private equity teams, but if that communication isn't as routine as it can be, then there are perceived surprises, and that's when you end up getting in trouble with your private equity teams is that they don't want to be surprised. And so, you know, great communication is just first and foremost. And then, you know, once you know what they want, putting, you know, sort of boiling out the complexity and really getting to, I think, a key set of information that you can deliver on a routine basis 
get feedback, ask them if they want more, do they want less, you know, that type of a thing so that you can, you know, get to the, again, the highest value items that will help them make great decisions. So, Brenda, can you share a story of a time in, in your finance career when you had an aha moment, a moment of strategic insight that led you to drive change within the organization or perhaps take a different approach? Yeah, I can. Uh, I think probably one that comes to mind is is where there was uh, an interesting situation. I had joined an organization uh, who uh, had several years of financial sort of influx and uh, and quite a quite a history of just reporting the way they'd always reported without, I would say, a lot of um, deep dives into understanding the information and. Uh, as we moved along and, and got through the financial cleanup and you know, really started to scrub the data, it, it really became clear that the way that the information had been historically reported didn't really tell the whole story. It, you know, it told pieces of the story and snippets, but, you know, when you really took a step back and almost took the opportunity to re-engineer and slice and dice the data several different ways, you were able to see that the profitability um, by a couple categories and channels wasn't at all what had been perceived over a number of years. And in fact, uh, specifically a few categories that had been thought to be incredibly profitable and, you know, kind of the bread and butter of the company and, you know, what was always talked about in, you know, meetings with, you know, bankers and so on. Actually, once it was uh, really dissected and 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 looked at closely had actually been losing money for the company for a number of years. So I think the lesson um, was, you know, first of all, don't always accept what you inherit as you know the gospel truth, right? And you know, also make sure that you're taking the opportunity to look at the big picture and to really understand the different elements of the business so that you can. Uh, maybe take a little bit different perspective. Um, even if you've been doing it a certain way for a really long time, sometimes uh, costs have crept in or different uh, support organizations within the company that now are supporting a certain you know, business channel or business line that hasn't necessarily been rethought or re-engineered. And in this particular organization, it literally changed the landscape of how we told the story about the company. And it was an amazing aha moment, quite honestly, for you know the board and the shareholders and you know all the sales and, and marketing folks in the company. Maybe you can share with us, what have you done over time uh, in these different roles to eradicate uh, complexity or work that adds little value? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, this is an area I think that I um, am able to really help an organization um, take a step back and, and remove some of the complexity within the organization and, and hone in on what really should be looked at closely. Unfortunately, I think a lot of companies spend a lot of time chasing their tail around, you know, a metric or two that isn't actually what's driving the business. And so I typically will look at ways to 
um, to streamline and optimize the planning processes. Uh, I'm a big believer in, in establishing dynamic planning processes so that you're looking, you know, 12, 18, 24 months out. Uh, and, and really drilling into some of the detail, not just, you know, kind of rolling forward percentages of growth and so on. And so, you know, it's sometimes hard to get the organization on board, but, I, but I've been able to successfully do that in some organizations where I can go in and say, we need to build a dynamic planning process, and it needs to have real assumptions as a part of it and, and, and real vision around things like, let's say, specifically marketing budgets. So, you know, a lot of times a company gets to January, of, of the new year and budgets aren't done and they're you know the people people are are operating in an environment where they don't even know what their budgets are and so I am a big believer that you need to have those um, a couple years out so that at least you've got a roadmap um, and the folks that are in the organization know what that roadmap looks like and maybe there's still some controls in place to ensure that you're doing the highest value add things as things change but you know that's where I think I can add a lot of value. I think CFOs in general can, you know, sort of purge their systems and and their reporting of a lot of the non-value um, items and light items that don't necessarily bear the, the time and energy that often go into looking at them. Jeremy Hope, uh, the author who would refer to this uh, role as the freedom fighter, would lead us to believe that getting rid of that complexity allowed would allow for higher value work. Is that uh, the case? Uh, did these actions create space and time for finance to play uh, a role in higher value work? Yeah, I think in general, in the organizations that I've done this successfully, it absolutely does because people, you know, sort of stop um, laboring over, you know, the the sort of minutia um, of the business and they really focus in on the larger, more important items. And depending on the organization, it you know, it might be marketing spend, it might be an SGNA item, or in, you know, obviously product centric organizations, it could be really understanding what your gross margin is and understanding the components of gross margin and, you know, establishing a let's say a standard cost system where you know, you know, what your purchase price variances are as they happen and and you're not sort of always waiting for that information to come through and, you know, it's, it's after the fact and by the time you understand it or get information on it or sift through all the noise, doesn't really provide a lot of value for you anymore. And so I, I absolutely believe that this, the Freedom Fighter can really free up um, the business owners to, to do um, much more high-value ad work. Okay, so we're now on to our mentoring round where we ask questions, uh, quick questions for you that can offer advice to aspiring CFOs. What do you wish someone had told you at the start of your CFO career? I think I would have wished that someone would have told me to have a greater level of patience um, as the CFO. Uh, I think that you know, a lot of times we are charged with, you know, the initiatives and, and change management to, you know, to get an organization where it needs to be for growth or for a turnaround or whatever the case is. And sometimes there's just a high sense of urgency in that work. And not everyone in the organization has that same level of urgency uh, or the same commitment to, you know, the, the initiatives that you're trying to implement and work on. And so I think that it would have, I would have loved to have somebody just say, you just sometimes should slow down and, and be very, very patient as you move forward. 
What personal habit do you believe has contributed to your professional success? I think uh, energy and passion for what I do. I am, I think, a CFO who quite honestly loves what she does. I I love going to work every day and I love, you know, educating and, and, and enhancing the experiences that everybody's having, you know, in the business and growing the, you know, the product and product lines and growing the, um, just the general culture of an organization. And so I think that that, that energy and passion uh, translates people. I've had some really wonderful compliments in my career where, you know, they say that when, you, when I walk in the room, the energy changes in a really positive way. And I think, you know, that excitement and enthusiasm for what I do can really show through. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, You need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. What book would you recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Well, my personal favorite right now is from a wonderful man named uh, Vance Caesar, and it's called uh, The High Achiever's Guide to Happiness. And, you know, it's it's a really, uh, I think, a good book for anyone who considers themselves a high achiever or someone who has high expectations um, about themselves and, and high responsibility level uh, and and you know, good confidence, but but still, I think, struggle sometimes with, you know, always being as happy as they hope that they should be. It's a, just a fantastic book. I'd highly recommend it. What is one thing that's really exciting you about finance and business right now? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that's exciting for folks in finance in any capacity is that that the teams are being viewed as partners and um, strategists and, you know, more high value add. You know, it's interesting. I, I talk to obviously lots of different organizations and other CFOs and what I hear from most of them and, I, and I'm seeing in the organizations that I work with is this sense that it's not just bean counters or, you know, folks who have, you know, green eye shades and, and ledgers to keep track of, but you know, really the ability for finance and accounting to provide information that can can truly change the direction of a company and uh, provides you know, really great analytics and tools and and can minimize sort of the the transactional noise and provide um, high value high value uh, assistance to the organization. Brandon Morris, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Well, it was great, Jack. Thank you.
Thought Leader listeners, whether you've already ascended into the ranks of finance leaders or have only just begun the journey, your professional narrative needs a reboot. Join our email list at cfothoughtleader.com and receive my latest email series, Finance and the Power of Narrative. It's time to mobilize the past to achieve your goals. Thank you for listening.